Welcome to the App Designer Podcast. In this episode, is the mantra of like, you just build, you test, and you repeat, and you just do that. I learned the best on the job, so in the in the project uh, and working with people. A lot of frustrations and a lot of instant noodles. Time for me to try and make a green or environmental positive impact with my work. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of our podcast. I'm your host, Felician, and I'm here today with Kore, who is a freelance designer working to bring balance between the planet and businesses. Happy to have you here today. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Kore, let's start with your career. How did your career in design start? It started with uh, mechanical engineering studies at the university uh, in Denmark. Um, where I started a line study called Design and Innovation, which I was very unsure about what that was and what that meant. Uh, so the design uh, to me used to be like the visual design and kind of the traditional stuff. And I had very little idea of what I think of design today. Uh, but that's where I, I got exposed to it the first time. Um, but it was a mechanical engineering program where... Over the bachelor degree, I took more and more kind of more sociological design courses and kind of got exposed to the what we now know as the design process and the design research and all these kind of methodologies. And uh, yeah, I, I actually dropped out of uh, I'm a I'm a university dropout. Uh, so after. I think four years there, I, I, I dropped out of my master's studies. Um, so I did not finish my engineering degree, uh, but I dropped out because I got accepted at Copenhagen Institute of Interaction Design, um, which is CID for short. And this was a very, well, very, I was very lucky to get in um, because uh, a friend of mine who went there the year before me uh, he just called me one day, uh, knowing that I tried to apply and got declined. Um, he called me and uh, said that uh, the Danish quota that they have there, they have like two or three students a year, uh, one of them had said no um, to go. Uh, so he called me and said that um, they missed a Danish person to fill up the quota because they'd like to have a few people. Uh but me being Norwegian, uh, I just called the school and put on a Danish uh, accent and uh, said that I I love Denmark and I've lived there for four years and and I, I could be their token Danish person if they wanted me. So long story short, but then I was lucky enough and I got accepted like two months before the year started and and yeah. Um, CID is like a, a one-year master, an official master degree, 10, 10 months of like full-time crazy uh, design stuff uh, where we got exposed to a lot of different stuff. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how I started and got to know a lot of good people. I'm lucky to still be working with as well. So yeah. That's a great story. <laughs> When you said that you had a different idea of design, yeah, that's the case for many people that they think of design as some quite a bit different. And much broader. I, I understood that then it's more of like uh, 
well, to me, it felt very um, like natural problem solving in a way. Like it's just about looking at at potentials or problems or or needs that people have, uh, and kind of with with the process in mind, you kind of you kind of see much more solutions and, and ways of looking at things, especially in within service design, which is kind of my my field. Um, yeah, now it feels quite natural, but uh, back then it's like. It is it's interesting and, and being exposed to so many different people working within design or digital development, yeah, it's really, really, really broadening my horizons and how I, how I live and, and look at the world. So, yeah. Yesterday you've mentioned that you worked in a few different industries and now you want to focus on the environmental sector. So why is that? Well, as you, as you said, I, I have been lucky enough to work with a lot of different industries. Uh, I worked at the agency uh, for some years here in Berlin. What I guess I realized is that design kind of sits in between all these, like it doesn't matter so much about what the client actually does and what sector they, they work in, because the underlying at least service design process, it kind of, it can apply to any sector. And for me, then it became more about what is the impact of my work or what kind of impact can I have as a designer and what kind of drives me or motivates me. And that was now, uh, it has been a long time, but now it's uh, time for me to try and make a green or environmental positive impact with my work because I, I really believe this is, um, well, I think we all can agree that it, it, is, <laughs> it is needed. And I also think businesses uh, see that. So... There is a quite unique, up until this point at least, opportunity to, to also work. And there is so much work within the sector because all businesses has to adapt or they have to pivot to, to a greener or an environmental positive uh, practice. So, so that is, I guess, the why uh, that I, I set this focus uh, within yeah, the last year. What do you think is the biggest challenge for designers in the environmental sector? Oof, that is a very big, big question. Um, like from a designer's perspective, I think it's, it is to uh, be taken seriously and, and being able to kind of be let in the doors for businesses to, to work with them on these issues and help them um, adapt or change their practice or or identify the markets that environmental um, factors are creating. So what what I'm seeing is that the consumer markets, all the users, uh, not all the users, but the big Western uh, markets, at least the businesses in them and the policymakers, they are creating these, these, this environment for uh, these businesses to, to basically uh, uh, profit from like it's a it's a new market uh, in many ways, um, increased by policy and and just the, almost the desperation that we're we're having right now, um, and it's um, it's an environment that I think designers can do so much in, um, which I think if you. If you talk to the big polluters, let's say, of the world, um, it's it's typically an engineering problem, right? It's a supply chain issue. It's a 
um, emission issue, and it is in a way. But designers can can rethink how a business uh, operate in a much more fundamental way. Um, and obviously, working with engineers and working with the more technical uh, uh, savvy, let's say, um, the impact can be massive. And I think for me, the biggest challenge is to get in the door uh, to actually being kind of let free on these kind of issues. Um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, but why do you think that it's the biggest challenge? Because kind of those companies want to invest into being more green. Because even if it doesn't make them too big of a profit, it's a good for their branding. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and that that is actually a a interesting thing you're saying there. And that, I I see that as a challenge as well as well because there is this fear or this challenge of, of greenwashing and of like being a, making a business seen or observed as a green or, or, uh, environmental friendly business or brand. And especially with like physical products that you buy in the supermarket, you see this a lot, but I think to kind of get through to them, to understand that this is a whole new environment and like you can so many sectors especially industry they can they can really um reinvent themselves and become a new industry leader if you have the right uh initiative from the from the companies and that's why i mean that that's why i think this um is a big challenge uh for me as a designer uh, as a service designer to to be yeah to be i guess be taken seriously enough to to get that in at that level in these organizations and one thing is the the smaller um the medium-sized companies and or new companies they can do a lot but i think the way forward the only way forward is to also bring the old ones the actually the big institutions and the big polluters and industries we need to bring them out of this so i think that's why this is a big challenge for me how do we get to them because yeah, those little things they add up, and sometimes the supply chain is so big that yeah, we don't even realize how many things have to go into it to deliver, let's say, one product. Oh, yeah, um, I'm not sure how to. I don't know enough about this, right? To to be succinct, I think, uh, and maybe you do know more. Um, but for me, I have always had this. Uh, let's I call it my wet dream of data is is to have a fully transparent supply chain um, of emissions of materials of uh, recycling of who like whose hands are these products going through um, to track it and back step like the whole process until we have or if we would have that um, a smart supply chain let's say um, you can suddenly solve so many issues environmentally and emission-wise. Um, there, there is so much potential in that. Um, yeah, I think that's the problem that sometimes companies don't want to be really transparent. Exactly. 
but yeah, it's for the not competitors, but the small companies that want to get into the market to change that. Because when a small company comes in and yeah, wants to win over the competition, they have to be kind of innovative. They have to yeah, be different, be different from the big dogs in the house. <laughs> and kind of a fully transparent supply chain could be an advantage for those smaller companies that decide to invest into it. Yeah. Even the, the, the ones that are actually selling you uh, the final product. They don't even know in some cases about their own supply chain because it, supply chains today are so complex and so nested uh, in itself that these companies, even when uh, policymakers are trying to do something in this space, they, they don't know. They can't. So we need we need to help businesses to understand this. We need to uh, work with technology and I think designers as well as policymakers. But we to make policy uh, to enable policy to actually be being um, set. There, there has to be an actual, a viable way to to do it, to follow up on it. So we need to prove that we can track these things. We can uh, track emissions and and be transparent. Uh, and then there's then the policy can enforce these things. But you can't have a policy first and then everyone has to figure it out. It doesn't really work like that. So if a smaller company comes in with a, yeah, creates a fully transparent supply chain, it could become a market leader in the long run. Oh, it would be massive. If they could enable that, if they could enable sectors or or any kind of industry that are actually working in this, any material goods, even even digital, uh, when it comes to power markets, energy markets, and etc. If someone can enable this, it's massive. And there is a lot of people and companies and organizations out there working on this. Um, so it's going to happen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's this intersection of technology, design, and policy that I think is the way forward. And, and it's you can't do much without the other, I think. Now, circling back to your career and your story, what problems did you face in your, your previous experience? Like, for example, when the team wasn't aligned on the goal or there was miscommunication? Yeah. Um, so working with the developers, for example, uh, during my time at the, um, at the larger consultancy firm uh, and the design branch of that, we were developing an internal project, let's say, following more of a startup model. And we were trying this almost as an experiment to also prove it to the bigger organization that we can create our own solutions as well. So, but it was a very simple thing. It was a almost like a one-button app. So very simple, but on the backside, a bit more complex, but nothing like AI or anything like that. And uh, we've been kind of hacking away and kind of creating these uh, systems ourselves using webhooks or, or Zapier and all these kind of things. And uh, I think we were a team of five, six people on and off. Eventually, um, the bigger organization, they acquired a 
um, production house, like a big development firm. And for political reasons, um, this firm had to work with us to actually develop the app. And um, I think there was some some personal kind of feelings that they just got acquired and then they had to work with us. And we were methodology-wise very far apart. This was a very traditional German development house. Um, they at least came in uh, and I was working with the Scrum Master for over, I think, six weeks um, where, where we... Uh, we're writing user stories basically for six weeks in a room where me and a, a colleague, we had to write post-its and we were dictated by, by the structure of the scrum master. And it took, it, it took almost full time, six weeks. Um, and this was a one button app. So you can imagine the frustration and like the, the, the why of this and like how we communicated must have been completely on two different planets and the intention of why were we doing this project? Like we were doing it to be agile, to be small and low cost and try and get something out there as quickly as possible just to prove something to, to a client. And um, this development team that came on board, they, they tried to make it as big of a project as they could to increase their sales target or whatever. So like the goals of these two projects that were kind of forced together was completely misaligned. And yeah, so... Basically, the end of that was that six weeks of uh, user story writing ended up in a time estimation proposal for the develop from the development house, which led to a cost of like several million euros, which was uh, pretty out there for us. But yeah, <laughs> so teams surely should be aligned on the goal. <laughs> like, if someone disagrees with that. Then they should learn something about project management and development. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think there was a lot of things that went wrong there, and I don't know half of it. I think, but at least I ended up in the middle of it, which was uh, at times painful. But the guy was very nice. <laughs> I really liked him personally. I can imagine that wasn't your favorite project that you've worked on. No, it, it wasn't. But it was a nice project up until that point. It, it really was. And do you have a favorite project? Uh, yeah, I think I do have a... Uh, it's, it's my favorite project, but also maybe my worst project. Uh, it's, a, it's a very emotional one. Um, uh, it's a project that I kind of started during my thesis at CID. Um, so like a individual two month, um, project at the end of the year. And then you have kind of your, uh, exam and all that stuff, uh, which was in 2015 and during kind of the, the, that summer, uh, the height of the refugee crisis in Europe, which led to basically a, a refugee text service using very simple chatbots, uh, on kind of these hotspots for refugees coming to to Germany and Scandinavia. Why it was my favorite is because I've been spending at that point, maybe four or five years studying design processes and like the ways to do it. But at CID, the only thing kind of that they're actually holding you up to do is to build, test and repeat. And that is the mantra of like, you just build, you test and you repeat, and you just do that three times a day and 
after X amount of weeks, you will definitely have something if you do that enough. Um, and that's what I did. So it's the, it was so freeing because instead of thinking of I had to make, a, as a designer, as my thesis, I had to make a, a visual app or an interface or anything like that. It's, after all, an interaction design uh, class. But because of this kind of mantra and this freedom we were given, um, it basically led to me just buying a lot of uh, prepaid SIM cards, going to these different hotspots, having my own custom stickers on them and handing them out to people who came who didn't have internet, didn't have a, f- a phone number. Uh, and on the stickers, I basically had like a very simple like for text to this number for uh, asylum legal uh, help or ref- uh, referral to that, uh, wherever you are going. And then I was sitting back in Copenhagen in my in my flat, replying man- manually to all these messages or making Skype calls, uh, etc. And then f- after doing that for like three weeks, that kind of gave me enough certainty to then start building a chatbot also very simple but that's kind of why i loved it because it was so it was just straight ahead like you identify a problem you see a potential and you come up with the easiest technically um viable solution to it and i don't try and throw something fancy designy on top of it um so that's kind of why it was my favorite project um Also, I ended up working with two of my best friends on this project for for more than a year, um, as we were taken into the uh, uh, like a early incubator in Copenhagen to work on that. And over time, that's kind of also why it became my most hated project because realizing how difficult it is to actually get something off the ground and running uh, sustainably, business wise, it's it was so hard and. Obviously, this was a project that definitely shouldn't have not have been a business. But for funding reasons, we had to become a business to be able to get funding to do the project. And yeah, a lot of frustrations and a lot of instant noodles uh, eating. Uh, after, I ended up in my parents' basement back in Norway uh, <laughs> without any money. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of how that adventure ended. But yeah, a lot of learnings and a lot of frustration, but also fantastically fun and and such a privilege to work with uh, uh, actually Kiran Duffy and Caroline Arvidsson. So yeah. Would you say that this project kind of shaped your career? Uh, In many ways. Um, It it put me on a trajectory of learning the more kind of business side of things. And understanding how, yeah, how that part of it goes. Because going to design colleges, I don't think, at least the ones I've been through, um, you kind of ignore the whole business aspect of it. <laughs> you just focus on what is the, what is these key user moments that kind of make people love your service or product or whatever it is and kind of play with that. But you kind of ignore the whole business part and it's not viable. Uh, if you do so so or then at least it becomes something else it becomes more of a becomes more artistic i guess or or more of a project but yeah so it definitely put me on a trajectory of i need 
I want to work with uh, business people or more strategic thinking people. And that put me towards working for Fjord in, in Berlin, um, where uh, business designers is a official kind of role. And it's kind of the key of this, that studio. And that was, uh, yeah, that was also quite eye-opening and very, very fun. Awesome. Yeah. I can notice a pattern that the first project has a huge influence on the whole career, on the whole path designers take. You've been in the design for a few years, and I'm sure there is a belief in design that you disagree with. What will that be? <laughs> Yeah, okay. What I'm going to say now is it's not like I don't agree with it. It's just it's, I think it's a bit overhyped. So uh, I think user-centric design or user-centricity is much overrated or like it's, it's just too much in the focus. And I think people are using that too freely. And obviously that's not good when it's more of a you just say it because it's the right thing to say. But if we were to only follow what users desire or what they need or what they want, then, um, yeah, I don't think the world would become <laughs> such a good place. Um, and obviously, like, I had teachers at school uh, teaching user-centric design, and, and one of the first things they say is that... Um, Obviously, you don't just follow what the user says. You have to interpret it. You have to synthesize it. You have to twist it into something that is actually viable and, and useful. And it's kind of the designer's responsibility to make sure that they can stand by what they make. But as a term, as a, as a kind of... I, I feel like many people or businesses can get like a tunnel vision along this user-centric principle. Um, because in a way, it becomes just uh, another word for like consumerism. Like it, it can take that turn quite quickly, uh, and you can use it against uh, users in a way as well to just sell more and create this desire in them. If you're if you're good enough, so a good designer can do that, um, and that's why. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's why you now the last few years you hear. First came like human centric that kind of took over for user centric because users is not such a nice word. Um, and then now you kind of see, or I, I see like the planet centric becomes more of a more of a buzzword. And I tend to agree with that direction because you you kind of you need to keep the bigger perspective. You need to and design that in from 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 the start if you can. Uh, makes it more complex, but also much more fun. And do you follow your intuition during designing, or more more of a process? Uh, so I, I like my core kind of skills is like in the early design process stage, so like research, like design research and concepting, and then <coughs> usually ends at like an MVP uh, version uh, or something. Um, so I think my intuition lies mainly during research, which is a bad thing, to be honest, is something I think everyone has to kind of fight with, especially visual designers as well, like, and UXers to not just go for things that they done 10 times before, or you kind of need to challenge yourself. But I think my intuition that 
I'm positive towards at least is uh, when talking to people and trying to understand uh, what they actually say and kind of let them guide me towards uh, the gold nuggets uh, in doing like user interviews and stuff like that. Um, I think that's where most of my intuition lies. Um, yeah, I, I also think I'm always wrong. Like I'm never certain about anything. Uh, I, I don't think it's a healthy thing to to be, especially as a designer. Like I, I see my role as uh, I'm not an expert in anything, um, and I think that's that should be the starting point in any project or any any new thing you do is that just be open yourself to to what people are saying and what uh, industry experts or whatever um, subject matter experts are saying and, and use them and connect it all. Kind of the, the puppet master. Like, I believe that when someone thinks that they know everything, they are doomed whenever they start working on something because we are naturally biased to different things and we can't know everything. Like, the world is changing so fast. Like, even last year showed us that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think especially, like, designers and, and like, they are kind of usually setting their agenda for what is to be built, which is always, like, futuristic, like, short-term future, sure, but it's still a lot of stuff that has never been built before or not been seen or put in that way. So I think it's such a massive responsibility to not kind of be arrogant about it. Uh, and just do your best to represent as many people as you can when you do that kind of work. Awesome. And where do you learn? Because as a designer, you have to constantly learn something new. What's your approach to that? <laughs> it goes a lot up and down with me. Like I learn the best on the job, so in the in the project uh, and working with people. Uh, I'm not a designer that works so much alone. Like I. I want a team and I kind of need a theme. I, I, I thrive in a team rather than just send me a, a brief and I'll give you an MVP back. Um, so I, in that context, it's definitely the best learning environment, I think. Um, but for sure, reading a lot, uh, much more than than what I am doing. Uh, whenever I, I do, it's it's uh, I realize how important it is. And just be curious. Like I, I am constantly looking at, at I'm, I'm just reading like uh, magazines and, and kind of blogs and watching what the good people are doing. You know, like trying to at least keep one eye on it. You basically learn from others also, all the time. Yeah, steal from others as well. <laughs> yeah. Maybe steal is the wrong word for that, but. That, that you build on top of yeah. what all the people have made. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Many designers say that they are stealing, but yeah, it's like yeah. building on top yeah, of something. <laughs> Reusing or improving upon. Yeah. Do you have any tips for someone who wants to get into design? Who wants to get into design? I, yeah, I, I think. Um, if you do want to, then uh, try and figure out like what kind of designer do you want to be. Like, think about what do you see yourself. What what's your everyday like look like in five years time? Um, because the, being a designer, it, it can be so many things. It, it's so wide and so broad. So 
from like more like research or service design and concepting, uh, screen design, visual design, UX. Um, it looks very different and it feels very different, I think. And it requires kind of different parts of the brain, I guess, or like is quite personal. Uh, how, how that kind of, how good at you are at different things. Like I am not so good at deep focus and pixel pushing. So I'm trying to not do too much of UX uh, and like and that end of it. But uh, sometimes I need to, and I I really want to, and and it's super rewarding. So I think think about that, um, and then just uh, contact someone you know who works in that sector. Uh, write me uh, or whoever, uh, because at least here in Europe, the designer bubble is quite a small bubble still at least i feel like that um most of the projects that or the work that comes through is through this network of other designers and other people in that sector um of course there's many ways into these networks um if that's just someone you have worked with or or someone that you know uh, but also the schools at least cid is massive uh, network and alumni uh, that was kind of the thing that made it for me. Uh, but yeah, I think also anyone can do it. So when I went to school, it was people from every background and almost any age, which is uh, super, super nice. It's a great answer. Like, I think that many people will benefit from that, that they can ask you. Because yeah, when you're thinking about something and are in doubt, just ask someone who's been there, who's done that. Like most of the people are there to help. So please tell me, where can people find you? Um, you can find me at the um, website that ksolvag.work, also on LinkedIn, um, and through Sonder, uh, which is a freelancing collective that I'm part of, or partially part of at least, uh, where we are trying to uh, kind of build up this kind of this work within the environmental sector. So it would be through Sonder or me to me directly. Awesome. Kore, thank you very much for today, for the interview. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Elite Crew, the software house that helps designers shape the world. If you need help with your project or want to consult technical matters, just drop us a message at elitecrew.io. We'll be happy to help.